This is Building on the Solid Rock with Pastor Troy Neely of Calvary Chapel, Solid Rock. Let every family find faith in the Father's love. This is where it begins. This is our cry, this is our song, Jesus the way. We find our life in Him. I am there you may be also and where I go you know and the way you know second thing we need to understand if we're going to be able to accomplish this in our lives messy lives must have a cure we can't do it on our own this isn't about what you have or the resolve you have or the strength that you have you have something and God gives you that to do and that's it only what he knows you can do when he enables you to do but the rest is his We need Him. Most of us take pride in how independent we are. It's baked into our DNA as Americans, isn't it? But this resistance to help, coupled with our desire to earn success and position through our strength and hard work, can prevent us from fully trusting in Jesus. As Pastor Troy will remind us in today's message, we can't be spiritually successful in our own strength. Only when we lean fully on Jesus for our strength and wisdom can we experience the abundant life He desires for us. Now, here's Pastor Troy in the book of John, chapter 14, with today's edition of Building on the Solid Rock. We're in John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. It's, a, it's an interesting title, Jesus' Cure for a Troubled Heart. Because lives can get messy. Life can get messy. Things happen and they don't really make sense to us. We don't have all of the answers for it. Life can get so messy that it challenges our theology. We, we say, Lord, I don't understand. I pray. I do this. We're saying all the things that we do that should cause, if, if this, then this, and then this isn't happening, even though I've done this, and it just doesn't make sense. And we wonder, and we cry out to the Lord, I don't understand. Charles Colson wrote a book called Loving God, in which he wrote, life is not like a book. Life isn't logical or sensible or orderly. No, life is a mess most of the time, and our theology must be lived out in the midst of that mess. And you may try to organize your own life, and I'm one of those. I like my life to be orderly, uh, and, and that works perfectly until you get married, and then throw that out the window, and then you can kind of negotiate with one other person. When you have kids, forget about it. It's not happening. So then it's, it's all over, and then you either have to learn to live with life as it now comes before you and comes at you, or, or you, you give up, you close off, and you, and, you, and you run and hide. But that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to take truth, His theology, and to learn to live it out in the midst of a messy world imperfection in the midst of sinners. For the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus in the upper room during the Passover, life was starting to get a little messy. When Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, it was like an all-time high for them. 
This is amazing. We came late. You know, uh, Mary and Martha both almost chastised the Lord for showing up a little late if he had come a little sooner. But we thought maybe we're going to a funeral and we just saw a resurrection. This is a time to rejoice, man. Look what he can do. That was an amazing time. They're at the top of the world. Not only that, but after that, they're riding into town with him and to the cries of Hosanna. Like, man, this is good. And then they go and they have a Passover meal with Jesus, just them and him. Oh, they feel so special. They're arguing about who's the greatest among them, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And then, because Jesus doesn't seem to go with our flow, he starts to say things like, you know, someone in this group, all arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, someone in this group, someone among you is going to betray me. That sent some shockwaves. All of them were saying, is it me? Because I think we all know we have the potential to, to fail and, and, and be selfish. So they all ask him, is it, is it me? Is it I? He even tells them he's leaving them. And where he's going, they can't follow. Like, wait, wait, that doesn't fit into, aren't we establishing the, ki- we're, we're arguing about being greatest in the kingdom we're establishing. You're talking about going away and we can't even follow you? It doesn't fit into their theology at this time. Peter has told him, I will, even if all walk away from you, I never will. And Jesus says, oh, your theology is wrong, Peter. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He didn't realize he was capable of that, but he would soon learn that. And Jesus even talks about his own death, which doesn't fit into their theology at all about establishing the kingdom. So, They couldn't wrap their theology around all that they were hearing and observing. And as a result of that, because it doesn't make sense to them, they don't see the end, they don't know what's really all taking place and unfolding, because there's a lack of understanding and thus even trust, their heart is troubled. So this is what happens to us when our heart is troubled, it's because We don't understand or we don't see things the way that Jesus does. Maybe you're experiencing things right now in your life. You don't understand them completely. You don't know why things aren't unfolding the way that you think they should. Or things are very challenging. And instead of going the way that you thought they would if you prayed or, okay, I stopped doing this and I stopped doing that so that God would do this. I started giving so that God would. And it's not working like you thought, not fitting into that theology you have. Maybe today things are going on in your life and your heart is troubled. Well, Jesus had some words for those whose heart was troubled. And his heart or his words were for the disciples specifically at that time, but his words would be for you today in this time. So let's read verse 1, not even all of it. So Jesus says, here's how you do it. Let not your heart be troubled. There you go. There's the answer. Let's close. (laughs) So here's the thing we need to learn. Messy lives should be controlled. Now, that may not make sense. We're going to unpack that idea for you. The phrase, let not your heart be troubled, is not a statement of comfort. It's not like, ah, don't worry, guys. Don't worry. That's not what he's saying. This is actually a command. Let not your heart be troubled. 
Specifically, it's a command to stop worrying about something they had already started worrying about. So he's not saying, don't let any worry come to the forefront of your heart. Don't let anything come into your mind that might cause you to worry because you have no control over that. What he's telling them is to stop setting their heart on it, to stop mulling over it, processing it and trying to think about it and reflect it and try to fix it. Stop doing that. Stop letting your heart be troubled. It's like he's saying, don't let the things that you have no control over and don't understand take up too much space, time, and energy in your heart and mind so that it agitates you and even derails you. That's what he's telling them. So it is a command. Don't do that. And you can do what he's asking. See, that's his command tells us that our response to the messes around us can be and should be controlled. They should be contained. Whenever the Lord gives a command, he also gives the ability to keep that command. We can do it. God would never command you to leap across the ocean. You can't do it. Unless he plans to do a miracle, you can't do it. So he would not ask you to do that. He always gives us the command and enables us that we can do the command. As a Christian, here's something, maybe you didn't know this, but you need to know it. You have the power to control your thought life. Now, not the things that just come up. You know, you, you know how it works. You can be riding down and, and then that old song comes on and you know songs can bring you back to the 50s or if you lived then. <laughs> Take you back there even if you just watched it on TV. But, you, but a song comes up and boom, you're back in, oh, and that, oh, that girlfriend or that boyfriend, or, oh, if I'd have done this different. And all of a sudden you're nostalgic and you're way back in that period of time. A song, just a song can do that. Smells, other things can, can bring you back so that you begin to dwell. Well, as a Christian, we can't control the fact that certain thoughts come up. Certain things remind us or trigger certain thoughts. What we can control is the dwelling on them. You see, David's sin with Bathsheba, and that which led to his sin, was not that he saw but that he beheld. He saw, and not only did he behold, but obviously he dwelled on because it turned into an action. You don't get to go get that woman for me without dwelling on why or for what purpose. So what happens is a thought comes up and we begin to process it, think about it, be consumed by it. It drives us toward fear. It drives us toward many things, but not godliness. It causes us to worry. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or worldly fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So these things come in and they challenge the knowledge of God. He's got knowledge, but we're going to fix it. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
There's so much more to learn from today's edition of Building on the Solid Rock, so be sure to stay tuned for the next part of Pastor Troy's message. Building on the Solid Rock is the radio teaching ministry of Pastor Troy Neely of Calvary Chapel Solid Rock in San Antonio, Texas. If you're in the San Antonio area, we'd love to have you join us in person for our weekly services on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. for a time of worship and learning from the Word of God. You can also come by on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for our in-depth Bible study. Learn more about the church and find directions at our website, buildingonthesolidrock.com. That website again is buildingonthesolidrock.com. We hope to see you there. Now, here's Pastor Troy with more of today's message. So we cannot afford to spend so much time dwelling on things we have no control over and we can't fix or aren't ours to fix. As a Christian, you have to do your part in redirecting your thoughts away from those things that you don't understand and have no control over. See, those things are to be left in God's hands. You have no control over them. But I care doesn't mean you don't care. You've got a life to live that God has given you. So you've got to focus on that. And you can't be focusing on the things that you cannot fix. You may care about a son or a daughter, but they won't listen. Therefore, you cannot fix it. So you've got to live your life. You've got to do what you can. It doesn't mean you don't care. What it means is you trust the Lord. When you worry about it and you control it, You're not trusting the Lord. That's your sin, not theirs. So the worry that happens is a result of your own sin and unwillingness to leave it in God's hands. It's not easy, but we're able. The Lord enables us. And you know what? It would be a better use of your time rather than worrying because you spend time. Worry takes time. Worrying, you're not productive. You take time and energy. And it would be a better use of that time and energy if you would just, when it comes up, take it to the Lord again in prayer. Don't be consumed. Don't don't, don't turn toward the uh, 30 to 40 minute begging prayer. You don't have to do that. You go to the Lord and say, Lord, I have laid this at your feet. Lord, is there something you want me to do? Is there something, Lord, speak to my heart if I can help in any way? And if not, Lord, I turn it back over to you. That's all you really have to say. Lest the enemy consume you and cause you to miss out on life because of something else you can't control. He's got more for you, and he's got other things in control. The stuff he hasn't given you, he's got. Or he may place it in other people's hands that you don't even know about. But God is in control. And it's always a better use of our time and energy to pray than to worry. Some will say, I don't have enough time to devote to prayer. Listen, if you worry, you've got more than enough time to devote to prayer. Because you're not productive when you're worrying. You're wasting time. So you could condense it and pause and give it back to the Lord and get back to work or whatever it is, being productive, in less time if you would really just give it to the Lord. Jesus knew what was going on in his disciples' minds and that they were getting a little unrazzled, a little concerned. It's, it's not going, it's not making sense. I, I don't get this. 
Maybe even they feel they're losing control. Not that they had it, but he had it. Now they don't know what he's doing. And so Jesus basically tells them, guys, get a grip. It's in my hands. But more than just going, get a grip, he gives them something to look to, to consider Something that will help them, a different focus. You know, they'll often, whenever you're going to, you know, give a a child a shot or something painful is going to happen, they'll give you something else to focus on. Well, the Lord gives them something else to focus on. Verse 1, continuing on, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Second thing we need to understand if we're going to be able to accomplish this in our lives, messy lives must have a cure. We can't do it on our own. This isn't about what you have or the resolve you have or the strength that you have. You have something, and God gives you that to do. And that's it. Only what he knows you can do, what he enables you to do. But the rest is his. And we need him. So he gives him three things that we ought to set our mind on instead of letting our hearts be troubled. One, set your mind on who you know. Not the people. We're talking about the Lord. Set your mind on him. It says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. See, they knew the power of God. Can God do anything? God can do anything. Abraham taught us that. I mean, we we read about Abraham and Sarah, and they thought, well, I don't know. Maybe we got to do this ourselves with a child. But God said, is anything impossible for him? Is anything too difficult for him? So they knew, the Jews around Jesus knew, God can do anything. He's the one who redeemed them from Egypt. He's the one who allowed them to cross The Red Sea, he parted the sea. Provision for them. Miraculous provision. So can God do anything? Absolutely. So Jesus says, okay, you believe in God, take that and apply it to me. That same sense of trust and confidence. Because see, he had that same power. Being God. Jesus was the one who fed the multitudes. They didn't know how they were going to do it or if they would ever be able to or afford. Philip was talking about finances. You know, we don't have, we, even if we had all the money, we couldn't feed all these people. But Jesus was the one who fed them all with just a few loaves and fish. Jesus was the one who walked on the water. Jesus calmed the storm. They said, who is this guy? And Jesus even raised the dead. Remember Lazarus. The idea is this. I know the one who is telling me I don't have to worry. And since he tells me I don't have to worry, I know it's in his hands. I'm going to trust him. I can leave it there. You know who struggle with this the most? Controlling personalities. Those individuals who have a sense that I've just, I've got to control things. Now, it's sin, whichever, whichever angle you're coming from. One is, it's on me. Everything's always succeeded on me. I get things to happen. I'm the one. So that's obviously arrogance and pride thinking, oh, you're in, you're in for a fall soon because the Lord will go, okay, you got it. Let's see how that works. But then there are others who it's like a defense mechanism, 
um, I'm afraid I will get hurt. I'm afraid certain things will happen, and so I need to control, contain, and, and protect, and, and guard. And yet, that's a form of sin also. It's not trusting him, and it's trying to defend and protect yourself. It's the old taking care of number one, which is not in the Bible. So the Lord says, focus on, you believe in God, believe in me. He's got the same power, not only in who, but where, where you'll go. Focus on that. He says, in my Father's house. What Jesus is speaking about, we know, is heaven. But notice he refers to it as a house. The idea is that heaven is not just a state of mind or a state of being. It's a place. It's actually a location. We will go to heaven. We will be in heaven one day. The word mansion that he uses when he's uh, preparing is the Greek word money, which, not money, money, <laughs> which means a place of abiding, a resting place. Some versions of the Bible just say a room. In my father's house are many rooms. Um, I'll tell you why room is more accurate, but mansion gives more insight. Um, the point is not that everyone will have a house or a mansion in heaven. So don't start, I want a big mansion. I'm going to send a lot of building material. And that's not what's being talked about at all. Here's all he's simply saying. In heaven, there's plenty of room. I'm going to prepare a place and I'm going to come and I'm going to receive you. And there's plenty of room. That's his point. Now, let me give you some context from their perspective. In, in a Jewish home at that time, you'd build your small home, and then as the family expanded and family members grew and marriages took place, you'd add on to your home normally. So there would be more rooms and extensions of your home until you could use up all the space you got. And so you would keep adding rooms, and then they would grow up and live there. And some homes would get quite large and family members would die, or they would um, move away for some reason. Daughters, you have a lot of daughters, and so you got more rooms, and, and then the daughters go off to other lands to be with their husbands in those places. So you have these big places, and later you could use it to make a little money. When people would come into town, it would be called an inn. They didn't have hotels. They didn't build hotels. So when we read about the inn, it wasn't Motel 6 or Holiday Inn. They didn't build those. They didn't have enough space just for that kind of place. Home, you, it, was a, it was a place you invited people. So your home would become like an inn. You'd have rooms. Most of the time, your own family would use them. But if you had a larger place, you had lots of people at one time, um, you had an inn. And they would always build the rooms around a courtyard area so you would have a courtyard and it was just a large place. You could have multiple families or whatever, uh, especially if you had the money to continue adding on and building. So when Jesus is working off of that historical context, that frame of mind, he's saying, look, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm building rooms. I'm building space for you. And when I come back, there w- there's plenty of room." So don't worry, don't get afraid, don't think, oh, I need to hurry up, because what if there's no room? Oh, plenty of room. So that's what he's saying here. And then 
the mansion part, so, so it could be better interpreted room, but the mansion part is this. It's nice. So some in- interpretations say use mansion. It's going to be extremely nice. Whether it's a room, a space, or just a, an area that you get, doesn't matter. It's going to be awesome. That's all we have time for today on Building on the Solid Rock. Next time, Pastor Troy Neely will teach again in the book of John as he goes verse by verse and chapter by chapter through this gospel book. If this series has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email at info at buildingonthesolidrock.com. That's info at buildingonthesolidrock.com. We love to hear from our listeners about their experience with this ministry. Let us know if you have any questions about our radio program. In addition to hearing encouraging messages on the radio, it's important to be involved in a local church. If you live in or are visiting the San Antonio area, come visit Calvary Chapel Solid Rock. You'll find service times on our church website. Just follow the link from buildingonthesolidrock.com. If you're unable to be there in person, join us online. That's all for today. Be sure to tune in again for more from the book of John on Building on the Solid Rock. Let the light of Christ shine as we grow in Him. Come have your way in us. Come